I think it's ironic that we're talking about expectations today. Daylight savings time has begun, and I think there's a lot of people from our church who woke up this morning expecting that the clock was still the same. It happens to all of us. We've all been guilty of it. It does. But expectations, they're everywhere. A couple sit in a counselor's office nervously explaining what's going on and the issues they feel they need to resolve in their marriage. A business manager hurries into a meeting with crisply printed prospectus trying to explain to the board of directors why this quarter's financial earnings will not be met. Sports commentators prepare for the NFL draft explaining to expectant Browns fans how this is finally the year that they will compete <laughs> for the Super Bowl. Oh, you know it's coming. It is. As soon as March Madness and basketball subsides, you know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Expectations. They shape our reality. We all have them. It would be foolish of us not to admit it to ourselves, to our loved ones, to our friends and families, to those we work with, even to those we share church with. We have them. In every structure, in every level of life, we're confounded by them sometimes when they, are, when they appear because we may not even be aware of them. Unintendedly, they bubble up to the surface and we recognize them. If only for a brief moment, then it seems as if we sometimes forget them. I often counsel couples when they're dating. This is why moving in together doesn't work. Why God's plan for marriage is better. Because people think they're going to figure out all those expectations. But yet, when you enter into marriage, it's different. It's a different experience. There we go. We all have them. These expectations. And we think sometimes we can beat the system and figure them out. But if we're honest, expectations, they're a struggle. One change, one twist of circumstances in our lives, it can feel to us as if we've changed everything. But in reality, what we've often done is reveal to ourselves an expectation that perhaps we were unaware of, that had been violated, that has been changed. A paradigm has shifted. That's what we're seeing in our world today with this COVID-19, with this coronavirus. We have expectations, and when something happens, we're not sure where we're going to land in the midst of that. We're, we get afraid, we get nervous, we get apprehensive. If budget cuts come at work in the church in America, where it seems as if we are shifting to a post-Christian culture and less people are attending, all these expectations... They frustrate us. They make us afraid. We cling on to things that we feel can comfort us, like toilet paper. Have you seen the people that are hoarding toilet paper and hand soap? Here's my advice to you as a Christian with all the hysteria surrounding this, just as a fellow follower of Jesus Christ, not even just as a pastor. Despite the fact that you wonder how little people were washing their hands or using toilet paper properly before this time, We'll put that aside. Just remember, if you hoard all the toilet paper and all the soap, 
Everyone else around you will have icky hands and they'll be touching everything you have to touch. So don't. Don't hoard it all. It's funny, but do you ever think about how expectations, well, sometimes if we aren't aware of them, they'll drive us to act in ways that if we would step back and just take a look, would seem downright silly to us. They would. The question for us today is, why? Why do we so sharply, aggressively, and often even irrationally respond to life violating our expectations? We have ample evidence that God is at work around us, and in faith we seek to follow Him, and yet our own sinfulness gets in the way. Last week, Vince shared about that, that sin nature, that need to control that permeates us. You learn about how that mixture of pride and fear can cause each of us to struggle with giving up our control. In this season of Lent, we're talking about what to give up. We have to start somewhere, and Vince encourage you just in the little things to give God more of yourselves. Now, today we're moving on into the larger, the broader categories of lives and considering those expectations that affect our marriage, our work, our, our everyday lives, our schooling, our relationships, our family, and perhaps most fundamentally, our self, our self-image, our expectation of ourselves and what we expect to give and get in the world around us. Perhaps most deeply, we're thinking of our relationship with ourselves and others and ourselves and, and God. So today we're going to look briefly at two scriptures and we're going to take a look at expectations. And we're going to start in this expectation conversation, giving more space to God with our expectations. We're going to start by recognizing our expectations and how they come up in the middle of life's uncertainties. God will often draw us into difficult circumstances to reveal those things to ourselves and to draw us away from those things we're clinging to, those expectations, to make space to hold on to Him. But first, we have to recognize those expectations and how they exist. God commands us to look with eyes of faith beyond our circumstances and to cling to Him in obedience. And as Vince talked about last week, you have to start in those little things. And sometimes God gives us a little extra kick with some of the bigger things. He calls us to move out into obedience and to grow and to follow after Him. We'll see that God's grace is found not only in the ease of our circumstance, but often we find God's faithfulness most readily apparent, most strongly revealed to us beyond the everyday circumstances and the difficulties. God never promises us that we won't face hardship. Rather, He says that He will use those hardships to bless us, to guide us, and to draw us closer to Him. Perhaps most importantly, as we learn to walk in faith, even through those difficulties, even through those challenges of faithfulness that God necessarily puts us through, we're going to find that we're not only blessed ourselves, but God uses those to shape us, to equip us, so we are more readily available to not only be blessed, but to be a blessing to others. In this theme of servanthood, of being a servant, the undercurrent running through our church this year, as we really focus on that, this is important for us to understand that God has always caused us to draw closer to Him through difficult, through stressful times even. But the one thing those times will necessarily cause us to do is to consider 
and perhaps reconsider our expectations. So we're going to begin that process this morning, this call to give up in every circumstance, to yield what we expect to what God is doing, to walk faithfully with Him and to make space for Him to bless us that we would bless others in the midst of those circumstances in our lives. Let's begin that conversation today in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, a familiar passage of Scripture to many of us, the call of Abram, who later, of course, is Abraham, If you'd like to follow along, that's on page 9 in the Bibles in your seats in front of you. So let's take a look at that this morning. We're going to take a look this morning at Genesis 12, familiar passage, verses 1 through 4. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, in your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. God says, I got a new plan for you at 75, Abram. 75. Now, in America today, since you really can't retire necessarily, this might be good news for everyone, right? God, I'm just joking, guys. But God has a plan. He's in the midst of that. Let's start and look at something foundational. Foundational for our lives with God and with one another. God does not focus on what we focus upon in our lives. God does not focus on what you and I focus upon in our lives. So the question that should cause us to ask is, do my expectations, what I'm focusing on, what I think should be and could be and would be, where am I not lined up with what God in his heart is lining up in my life? And how do I find that? First of all, we look at God's word. We seek godly counsel and we seek the Lord in prayer. We ask that question and we listen as we've been talking about in the last several months. It's these spiritual disciplines, these practices God gives us and let we make space for Him. So the question you should ask this day is, do my expectations line up with God's for me and for my life? God's Word's a great place to start here. So Abram, we see here that sometimes God does not focus on what we focus on. If you look at Abram's life, you wouldn't think that God would call Abram to do what he has to do. Often I think we fail to see what God is even telling us in our lives and what he tells us people time and time in his word. If you look at God's word, as I'm saying, you'll you'll find this. The entire Bible is accounts of God's people hearing what God says, but in no way understanding, accepting, or applying what God tells them to do. That's the story of the people in God's word. That's the story of us in our lives. God says, hey, go and do this. And they say, but God... Or they say, sure, God, I will, but then they don't. And in that muddle of sin and control in the middle, what we find is we struggle because it's violating our expectations. Let's start admitting that right now. In no way do we understand, accept, and apply oftentimes what God clearly tells us in His Word we're supposed to be doing in our lives. We are just like them. 
Hopefully you feel a little better if you kind of say that out loud. I know I do. Sometimes God will give us clear instructions of what we're to be about, and we nod our heads dutifully and say, that's right, God, and then we go and do something else. To answer that question of why that we just asked, why do we do that? It's that sin nature inside of us. It's the expectations we have for ourselves, our lives, our marriages, our future, our bank accounts, our calendar. We do it in every area of our lives. We immediately weigh what's going on, what God, we feel, maybe you read a great devotional and God tells you something in the morning, you think, I'm going to do that today. But you know what, God? I don't know if I can do that today or I need to think about that later. And then the noise and the hustle and the bustle, you don't even mean for it to happen. It just comes crashing in and you miss it. We have a general set of goals for the day and other people have their expectations of us and when that all collides together, we struggle. We can struggle. Our expectations for one another. Our spouse's expectation for us and us for them. And we, I've joked about this before in the church. My wife's expectation, the number one measure of being a godly husband for my wife is taking out the trash before being told. I'm not sure why. I just know that it is. But there are times when I will sit and watch the recycling in my house become the leaning tower of Amazon. <laughs> why do I do that? Is it because I don't love my wife? First of all, the answer is no, I do love my wife. And she gets frustrated because that to her is the most important thing I can ever do. I can lose one of the kids, but if I take out the recycling, I'm only halfway in trouble. <laughs> I swear that's how it was. We have to start this day by realizing that we all have some expectations. They may not make sense to us, but in a general sense, if they make sense to God, we have to recognize them and we have to apply them. For example, if I know that God calls me to love and honor my wife and if I know that she wants me to take out the garbage and there's nothing in God's word that says that having garbage in your house is a good thing. If you want to read Leviticus and put yourself to sleep, it tells you that you should take out your trash. So I, being a godly and wonderful husband, think to myself, I'm going to honor my wife and take out the garbage. At least that's what I'm supposed to do. This is a silly little example. But in every area of my life, am I thinking about the expectations I have and how they line up with God's calling on me, whether it's me as a spouse, me as a friend, as a neighbor, whatever relationship I have. Am I looking for the deeper things, the things that God's calling me to that are most important? You see, God's not interested in the little things that we're interested in, in the way that we are, but he is interested in them and the fact that they advance his kingdom. Let's think about this for a minute. This initial step to yielding to God's expectation over ours revolves around this. God's expectations, God's focus, his ways are not our ways, his ways are higher than our ways. We, we know that, right? So God's expectations are to create a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual reality. God calls Abram out and says, I'm going to make you into a great people. I've got a plan that you can't see or understand, but I'm going to give you some guidance, some little steps you're going to take into that bigger spiritual kingdom. God's kingdom is spiritual in nature. It's calling 
people into a deeper relationship with him. So the little things I do in my life that maybe violate my expectations, maybe my wife wants me to take out the garbage, but I'm expecting that I'm going to go do something I want to do right then. I have to learn to have that spiritual discernment by drawing into God and knowing what matters to him to say, this is not the most important thing in the world. But you know what? Because I have this spiritual relationship with God and in this relationship with my friend, with my coworker, with my spouse, this is a way that I can love and honor them, that I can show them the kingdom of God. I can draw them in for a spiritual outcome that they would know that there's something about me or something about my relationship with God and with them that is different. That's a spiritual outcome. It's an act of obedience. So I have to have that discernment where I'm giving up control to God and drawing them in and saying, I'm going to go do that because it's going to help advance the kingdom of God. I have to have the presence to say, who cares about cardboard? No, you know what? God cares about cardboard in as much as it helps me to be a more godly husband. That's silly, but it's real. It is. God's focus is on spiritual outcomes, and we should focus, so should we focus, on those spiritual outcomes. And that requires that I give up many of my expectations. I trust that God is at work, even in these things that don't make sense. The struggle is that this leads us into deeper faith when we let go and we don't have control. That's the struggle. That's the struggle because expectations, if we're honest, have to do with what we think we should have control over in our lives in a given situation. And whatever the paradigm is, we think this should be this way because I think so. Because I want so. Think about Abram for a minute. The Lord, he tells Abram to give up a lot of expectations. Think about this. The Lord says to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. Now, in that culture, all of that would probably soon be Abram's. Let's think about it. He's 75. People lived a little longer the way the world was changing after sin at that point. But think about that. What is God telling Abram to do? All this other stuff, if you just wait around... All this extra that's going to be yours, you have what you have now, and it's, it's a lot, Abram, it's good. But all the rest that you have locked down, that you've worked for, that you're waiting on, that you're about to cash in, guess what you have to do with that? Lay it aside. And he says, go out to the land, I will show you. God doesn't say, hey, go to the land flowing with milk and honey of Barberton or whatever, I don't know, whatever it might be. He doesn't even tell Abram where he's going. He doesn't even tell him. But look at the promises and notice what they are. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will have you. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What do you notice about all those things God's saying to him? There are I will series. They're future promises. They're not present, they're not current, and Abram has no way to validate any of this. God says, I'm telling you to do this. Give up everything you expect and have here in control, and I'm going to do all these things, but you're going to have to trust me because I'm not even going to tell you right now where you're going. What if God told you something like that today? What if God called you to change your expectations 
where he says, hey, my focus is not on your focus. I'm on spiritual outcomes. I'm building this spiritual kingdom. I'm going to build this royal nation, this holy nation set apart. You're going to be a part of that. The church is now that. But Abram, you're going to have to walk out here and leave all the rest of this behind. And first and foremost, Abram, you're going to have to leave behind your expectations. Think about what God is asking him. What if God came to you one day and he spoke to your heart? And God does this on rare occasion, even to Presbyterians, I promise. God's done this with me. He says, hey, here's how it's going to be. And if you're like me, when God's prayed one of those prayers, he did one of those with me recently. And I said, what I learned to say, what I've learned to say is not whatever, God, don't say that. I said, God, if you say so, I'm going to trust that you're going to make it so. If you say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you know what? It did. I did nothing but say, God, I don't expect this is going to happen, but my expectations are not as important as trusting you. So if you say this is the expectation, I'm going to trust you. This is the expectation. What if your spouse came to you and said, God spoke to me today and we're supposed to become missionaries. We're going to have to leave this all behind. Let's take that back a notch. Maybe that one you're like, whoa. What if God spoke to you and said, you know what, we need to make more space. And that means we need to change our jobs and even downsize our house so we can actually be home with the kids. Because we just don't have any time with the kids and I'm not okay with that. So I want to move to a smaller house so that we can live more generously and love and support the things that matter to us and take care of our kids. And we're just going to, we're going to dial this all down a notch. We're going to find jobs that allow us to live comfortably and to have time with our kids. We're going to change what we think matters there. What if God called you to do that? How would you do that? I'm not saying, I'm, this is not meant to guilt anybody or anything like that, but just what if God told you to do that? How would you do that? Look at Abram's situation. Look what God says. Look what God calls him. Look at the expectations God challenges with him. Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. He has to give up the expectations of all that he knows, the familiar. And he says, I will make you in a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And God says, you know how you always worry about your image and your ego? And Abram, I know you do. I watch you every morning. Check your beard in the mirror there. I check my hair every morning before I leave the house. I do. But he has to give up his image and his ego. These are all things God calls us to do. Think about this. And, I will, and you will be a blessing. Well, he's giving up all this stuff he's counting on, this material gain and wealth he's waiting on. Yet God's saying, oh, I'm going to provide that for you and you're going to be a blessing. But how does he know that's going to even happen? Think about it. I will bless those who bless you. You don't have to worry about it. You have to give up proving yourself. If if you're in the right situation, don't worry about impressing people. I know you're giving up all this other stuff. I'm going to bless those who bless you. You don't have to worry about how to win friends and influence people. He says, no, just follow me. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. Sometimes, he says, I'm going to put you in some places that seem a little unsafe, and you're going to feel a little out of control. And he says, but don't worry, I've got that too. Anybody who seeks to do you harm or treat you even with contempt... I'll deal with them. New Testament says the same thing. And all the peoples on the earth, no big deal, look at this. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. You don't have to worry about having a legacy even though you're leaving this all behind. I'm going to make a legacy for you beyond anything you can imagine, Abram, if you would just give up your expectations. If you would just follow me. 
Think today, what are your expectations? What are your desires? Do they align with what matters to God in my relationships, in my life? Am I worried about losing all these things? Because I think if we're honest, we are. Just to show that this happens with church folks too, we're going to look briefly here on this idea of how God does not focus on on what we focus on. We're going to look briefly on this. This fundamental concept of giving up. We're going to look here at the story of Nicodemus. So if you want to follow along with that, you'll find that on page 943 in your Bibles. The story of Nicodemus. We're going to take a look at this here. And of course, John 3, one of the most familiar chapters in Scripture. There was a man from the Pharisees. And look, his name is Nicodemus. Let's take a look at that. A ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, key word there, someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Look, that spiritual dimension again. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, asks Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things, Jesus replied? Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you, do not believe, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. How does this work? Nicodemus, he's the spiritual leader. He's the leader of all of Israel. He's called a teacher or the teacher of Israel. And yet he doesn't understand this. He's worried. He wants to know Jesus. He comes to Jesus at night. Maybe he's afraid of the rest of the council, the Sanhedrin he belongs to. He knows they don't like Jesus. But yet I think he's open. He's open hearted. And he comes to Jesus. He's willing to give up that prominence. He's willing to risk all that. He steps out in faith and he comes to Jesus, I think, with an open heart. And he says, Rabbi, he treats him with respect, even though Jesus is not a trained, is not an, uh, a, a pedigreed rabbi with an, a formal education or any of these things. And he's considered kind of a ragtag teacher. He says to him, I want to understand this stuff. I want to get this stuff. I want it to make sense. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. No one can do these things. He has to give up that sense that he's bringing anything to Jesus. He comes to him respectfully and humbly, and yet Jesus blows his mind. 
Jesus blows his mind. He says, it's not about all these things you're worried about, Nicodemus. In fact, it's about these spiritual things and you don't understand them. You've got all this knowledge, but yet you don't understand because you still think your expectations are more important than God. You still think the way you expect things to to be is more important than what God says they're going to be, what God commands them to be. Nicodemus, he's one of these guys. He's struggling with the expectations he has for God. He's struggling with the expectations he has for his life. He might even be struggling with the expectations that other people are putting on him as someone in a prominent position. Maybe some of you can relate to that. You're afraid that if you ask the hard questions, maybe here at church, I think there are people that are afraid to say, I don't understand everything in here, and I want to understand it, but I'm afraid if I tell people I don't understand it, they're going to think less of me. Friends, I've been studying this book for most of my life. I'm a weird little Christian school kid, and I've been involved in doing this my entire life, and I, I studied in college, I studied in seminary, I've studied the languages, the culture, the history. I don't know anything about this book yet. So don't ever be afraid of saying, I wish I understood more of what this book says. That's what we're here for. Maybe Nicodemus is sitting there and thinking, no matter how many expectations I meet, it's just not enough. I don't feel like it's working. No matter how hard I work, it doesn't feel like things in my family are getting better or at my job. Maybe at work, someone's saying to you, hey, just cut this corner, just do this thing that's immoral. And you're thinking, I can't do that. And you're so stressed out, you're so worried. And here, Jesus says to Nicodemus, stop worrying about all that stuff. In fact, that struggle is what's drawn you. You're here with me. You know it's not working. Nicodemus is in that pressure cooker of life we all experience. And in those hard times is often when God draws us the closest to us. And he reminds us of one thing. One thing that will draw us to this table today. Yes, I'm calling you out to follow me, Nicodemus, just like I did with Abram. And he's doing that with us today. He's calling us out. But he reminds us, Nicodemus, it doesn't matter how much you have it all together. It doesn't matter how much you think you know or how much you think you don't. One thing matters, Nicodemus, the most essential, the foundational thing, the first expectation you must surrender to me is this. You're not going to get it all together and suddenly it's going to make sense. I'm going to be stretching you and pulling you and drawing you and calling you and moving you where I need you to be. And sometimes you're going to be in difficult, frustrating situations. And I'm going to use those things to shape you, to remind you that no matter who you are, you have to rely on me. That's what God is often doing with us. The expectation I know that God wants to confront in all of our lives today is that our greatest achievements, our most holy moments, our most spiritual opportunities, our greatest knowledge, whatever it might be, pales in comparison to understanding that sinners like us aren't going to get together. And with our expectations and with our failures and with our frustrations, our greatest achievements, they're never going to warrant the hope of heaven. That's what Lent's all about. Perhaps the question we should be asking ourselves today, the good news that we should receive today, is that God is calling us to recognize that and then to say, okay, God, What must I give up? What must I surrender? What expectation must I lay down? Where are you drawing me to? What needs to get out of the way so that I can follow you and go to where you're leading me so you can have more of my life? 
he comes and he asks these questions and Jesus gives him the simplest of responses, the one he gives us today. Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It starts, friends, with the cross. That's what Lent's all about. That's the promise, the expectation that we all have to accept this day. As we come to God's table today, the fundamental question you need to ask yourself is simply this. Some of the most famous words in all of God's Word, in all of Scripture, it's there for you to consider. For God so loved the world in this way, He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Wherever you are today, whatever you're struggling with, as we come to the Lord's table, ask this question, God, what are you asking me to yield? What things are you asking me to give up to you? Just like Abram, where he had all these things that we all worry about, and God said, no, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to give those things up and come out and follow me. And if you do that, if you follow him, He's going to shape you. He's going to draw you into that spiritual reality, to that deeper place He wants you to be. And it starts when we surrender ourselves and recognize that the hope of heaven is that we lay it all at the feet of Jesus. I hope you know Him. I hope you trust Him this day. If not, talk to me. Talk to one of our elders. We want you to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that defies all your expectations, the ones you have for yourself, the ones you have for life around you, the ones that others may place upon you. The promise of Easter, what we're drawing into in this Lenten season, is that there is new life and there's new deliverance, even from those expectations. And those things that we change, those things that we give up, that space that we make, is where God draws us deeper into Him as we walk forward in faithfulness with Jesus Christ. Friends, as we come to God's table today, this is not the table of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church or of Stowe Presbyterian Church, but it is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ who draws us in to make us His very own. It is open to all those who profess faith in Him. And you are welcome here. But we do not want you to come to this table in a manner that is unworthy, so I ask that you would join me in the prayer of confession up on the screen. Lord Jesus, it is so easy for us to see other sins as more ugly, more numerous than our own, especially when their sins are different than ours or when their sins are public and ours are private. It is so easy for us to rationalize our detachment from those around us who need our help, who need our time, who need our friendship. Forgive us, change us, draw us in and rekindle our faith, nourish our souls and transform our lives. By the power of the Holy Spirit, enable us to forgive others as you have forgiven us and to love others as you have loved us. Father, hear our confession as we give you our heart, our lives, and our whole selves. Hear our prayer as we pray the prayer you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to invite those forward who are serving as I pray. Father, take these elements and set them apart for your holy work, that you would indeed bless us, that your Holy Spirit would dwell richly in us, that you would rule and reign over our lives, that you would nourish our souls to prepare us to serve you in all that you have ordained for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you. In the same way he took and he poured, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood. Take and drink of it, all of you. Friends, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we celebrate Christ Jesus until he comes again. Friends, the body of Christ given for you.
Friends, the blood of Christ shed for you. Father, as we've come to your table this day, draw us in, transform us, use us. Would your spirit dwell richly in us? Would you rule and reign over our hearts and lives? Would you nourish us? Would you guide us? Would you, Lord, help us to, in every way, see you at work beyond our own expectations, Lord, those we have, those others place upon us, that we would indeed seek your kingdom, Lord, your spiritual kingdom in our lives, that we would make room for you in this Lenten season and follow you to the cross, that we would go out and leave behind all those things that we feel provide us comfort and recognize that only in resting in you and drawing into you and being nourished by you do we find lasting peace, lasting joy, and lasting direction in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people's sin.